both of you the same question but you both have to answer joe how do you know what you know Mm, i suppose i learned it somewhere where various places what'd you learn everything i know okay well how do you know what you know daniel you know that that's actually a a deep philosophical question we we could spend if we really wanted to wax philosophical we could spend a long time talking about that Uh, but basically i guess the short answer would be uh the evidence that I'm able to examine uh, leads that to be a very strong conclusion. It's a very pithy response, isn't it? I like that. It's very good. Well, I don't, it's a little wordy. <laughs> well, I, anyway, you all have answered the questions right. How do you know what you know? Is because we only know what we're told, and that's, you know, we're either told that or, you know, by lecture or communication or by experience or by. You know, what we read, of course, today, um, we think about evidences. You know, what is the evidence? Um, a long, long time ago, I, I, you know, looking back after it was already too late, I, I kind of thought I would have liked to have gone to law school because I like the examination of evidence. That everything is based on evidence. Your presentation and, you know, whether you're right or wrong, guilty or innocent, is always based on evidence and the, the research and all those things. So when I that's one of the things that helped lead me to my conversion to become a New Testament Christian uh, or become a Christian is the evidence. I mean, you can't dispute or refute the evidence that you have in Scripture. Uh, so for me, that's the evidence. And so today we're going to spend a little time without we don't have any attorneys here just the 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 three of us and to talk about evidence the evidence of the resurrection and you and while we people are tuning in probably are comfortable with that that idea that concept that fact that history there's lots of folks who kind of dismiss the resurrection of christ as uh you know, a fable or, you know, the legend, myth. Well, they've done that since the resurrection of Christ. Sure. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, from for over 2,000 years, and, and people continue to, uh, uh, you know, f- believe that. And I wanted to share, too, before we jump into that, you know, how do you know what you know? Well, you said that somebody told you or you did some work on your own. Uh, I actually did a Google search, and you'll really like this, a Google search about Google search searches okay how many well before i read ask that question is lots of folks instead of turning to on topics like this to scripture or study or digging themselves will just simply type that in the search box how many google searches are conducted per day one source i found says the latest data or data depending on how you say that shows that google processes over ninety-nine thousand searches every single second let me say it one more time. The latest data or data shows that Google processes over 99,000 searches every single second. That makes more than 8.5 billion with a B searches a day. That includes Internet Live Stats or from Internet Live Stats uh, 2022. And then I'm not going to get into the progression, the evolution of those Google searches from when Google began in 1998 uh, or since 1998. But the point is... 
if I were to ask most people, how do you know what you know, they're going to say, well, I Google it, I search it. You know, so a lot of times the answers that you find are not strong, solid evidence. But we're going to look at some uh, all the evidence from Scripture about the assurance and the confidence and the uh, comfort from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay. So how do you know what you know? We're going to study. We're going to study. We're going to look at the evidence. That's right. So why? What's where can we begin with thinking about what's the first big piece of evidence to back up and demonstrate to someone who doubts the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, if we're going to talk about the resurrection, a good place to start is 1 Corinthians 15. Um, scholars date the book of 1 Corinthians as being maybe the first book in the New Testament written. It's uh, It goes way back. It's uh, dated typically within 30 years of the resurrection actually taking place. And throughout chapter 15, Paul is hammering home just how vital and important uh, the resurrection is. So early, early on, the resurrection was a key aspect of Christian doctrine. That that alone disproves the idea that some people have that the the resurrection was a, a mythology that developed over many, many years, but that the early Christians didn't believe it. No, here we've got testimony you know, within 30 years of it happening that um, that says not only did they believe it, but it's it's the central fact of their faith. It, it, it's the core foundation versus— well, I like one, one area yeah. I read that said there is in Christ faith's reality, that it's our reality. It's the foundation, the cornerstone. It, it really is. I mean, Paul even says in verse uh, 14, if Christ had not been risen, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. In verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. So he's, he views the resurrection as being absolutely central to the faith. If you pull it out, if it's disproven, if it's not true, then the whole, all of Christianity falls apart as far as Paul is, is concerned. And it needs to be scrapped and replaced with something else. Um, so where does he start as he is laying out the evidence for this uh, this critical belief, which <clears throat> I guess before we get to his evidence, one thing you could point to is, um, well, think about it this way: you ever go fishing? I do. I haven't gone really much, really any this year yet. It's been busy, but yes, I love going fishing. Okay. I'm not any good. Yeah, I'm I'm not either. I, I drown worms. That's all I do. Do you really? Yeah, yeah. That's right. I would have never thought that about. <laughs> I really wouldn't have. I thought the the man, the king of dad jokes, a worm drowner. <laughs> that's right. Now that's, we know. That, that's the hobby. Well, anyway, so you're, you're out uh, on the lake or whatever, and you hear a big splash behind you, and you turn and, and you look, you see all these ripples coming out of this spot in the water. Well, that, that gives you a, a clue. You didn't see what happened there but i know there's evidence there's that some you know something happened there was a, a splash and and ripples that came out of there you you know probably there was a big fish that jumped right there or or somebody threw a rock in something happened there well there's some ripples coming out of jerusalem when jesus is resurrected um you know the the spread of of early christianity didn't happen it wasn't like 
there were these teachings about what's going on in Israel, but then really years later, uh, Paul goes to Rome and and really starts the spread of Christianity in Rome, and and from there, that's when they start this mythology about Jesus resurrected from the dead. No, the spread of Christianity happens immediately right from the area where Jesus was crucified. And a central claim of Christianity was that Jesus was buried and raised from the dead on the third day. And so if that were easily disproven, if there were not good evidence for it, then masses of people right there in that area would not have begun to to turn to that doctrine that was so it would have been easy to refute if you had a body to point to if you had other witnesses all right so talking about the witnesses and go now back to first uh, Corinthians 15 as we see what what Paul is is saying about it he said in verse 4 uh, well going back up to verse 3 for I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all uh, to as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Uh, so there he is, as he gives this list of, of resurrection appearances, he makes a point of saying most of these people are still alive. Now, why would he say that? He, he's inviting his reader to fact-check him. He's inviting his reader, hey, these people are still around. Go ask him about it. Don't yep. take my word for it. Don't take my word for it, like LeVar Burton used to say, right? You don't have to take my word for it. I remember him in the electric company <laughs> in the 70s. Yeah, I remember more from reading Rainbow. Reading uh, Rainbow. Yeah. See, I remember. I'm older than you You're are. You're older than we are. Yeah, I remember him. There's, I don't know. There's different levels of LeVar Burton. There are. I thought it was Star Trek and reading Rainbow. Right. No, right. it was it was the electric company and Roots. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> so back to... Um, Back to our, our topic here, uh, to you know, bring it back up. Don't if take you will, to, Don't take. Yeah, I got you. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. So we'll resurrect this topic, and zing. Because um, <laughs> yeah. that's the evidence. Okay, that's Can where I the evidence points. Can I just get one? Just give me one. Yeah, we'll see how you do. All right. Um, so anyway, after that that digression, uh, to get back on point here, he's asking for people to uh, to to check him out. He's pointing to these resurrection appearances as evidence of, of who he is. So this definitely cannot be something that just became mythology, developed over, over yeah, if time. If you're trying to pull one over on people, yeah, you're not going to say, well, go talk to these guys. Mm-hmm. Actually, go talk to 500 of these guys. They all saw him. Right. Yeah, here, here, here's a list of references. Go check them. Uh, that's what you do when you're applying for a job or something, right? You know, you know, ask these people about what I'm I'm saying. Um, so, the resurrection appearances are are vital, especially especially when you compare it with with the empty tomb. You know, if if there were just the the resurrection appearances, people could say, well, 
you know, maybe maybe folks were mistaken. Maybe they uh, they saw somebody that looked like Jesus, but it really wasn't Jesus. It was his brother or, or something like that. But mistaken these, identity. The people he showed up to were guys that had been with him for years. They knew him. That's right. They yeah. knew him. It wasn't his twin brother. Exactly. Yeah, they, they knew him. And their their belief in what they witnessed was so uh, was so steadfast that they're willing to die for it. Willing to die for it. That's right. All the apostles besides John die martyrs for, for their faith. And you know, every religion many religions have have martyrs that people die for what they believe. But these were different. They die... But people don't die for a lie they know to be a lie. That's the key, that they know to be a lie. These men said, I saw Jesus risen. I witnessed it. I, I saw it with my own eyes. I touched him with my hands. I ate fish with him for breakfast. You know, I, I witnessed this risen Savior. I saw it. And they refused to recant that even. Yeah. And even if one guy died for a lie... Mm-hmm. Eleven, of course, they advantage to that. Some somebody would have cracked it. The, the odds are not with with this not being true. Yeah, that's right. And I'll tell you too. I'm not sure where you're going, but while you're flipping, I'm going to tell you there's some uh, the, the excuse of well, the the people hid the body. Well, that's not viable because it was guarded by the Roman guards, right? And they would like nothing more than to have found that body and paraded it around to stop Christianity. But there is a... Daniel, you ever heard of the Nazareth inscription? Uh, yeah, why don't you tell us about it? Uh, well, it's an inscription somewhere in the first century whenever Christianity was, I guess, taking hold and blowing up there right after the resurrection. They found... There was an inscription. Some one of the Caesars at that time made it a uh, law, I believe, by capital punishment if you broke the law. Yeah. So anyone that was caught disturbing graves or tombs or opening tombs uh, was put to death. Now that seems like odd timing. If there wasn't a resurrection, they weren't trying to disprove Christianity. Yeah. How about that? I thought it was neat. Well, I think it is. It is. So. And, and, you know, that goes back to the um, the third line of, of evidence, and that is the, the empty tomb. You know, everybody is having to account for uh, the, the empty tomb. It will, we can go to uh, Matthew 28. 28, yeah. yeah that's where I was earlier at. Are you already there? Uh, well, I am, but I, I I talk probably more than I should about the little subheadings in the, the Bible that I use. Um, I, I call it my working man's Bible. <laughs> Each and every day it's with me that I was given many years ago for as a wedding present. But I love my little subheadings, and here it says in Matthew 28 at the beginning, just simply three words, He is risen. And for me, those three words... Uh, capture me, uh, apply them. I'm always thinking about application. I'm always thinking about uh, trying to strengthen my faith, build my faith. And even if, and to me, that's evidence. He is risen. And to me, that I find great comfort in those three words. Uh, I mean, that's a subheading. Some man came up with that subheading, but 
but and I'm sure we'll get into those eight verses just in a minute. But uh, well, that's the hinge of Christianity, our lives. Those three words. Without that, it's like Daniel was reading earlier, and Paul says that we're all to be pitied. Yeah. So what we're looking at there in, in Matthew chapter twenty-eight, um, starting in verse eleven, <clears throat> we see this this rumor going around that the apostles, the disciples, have come and stolen the body of Jesus. Verse 11. Now, while they're on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears... We will win them over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed, and the story was widely spread uh, among the Jews and is to this day. So evidently the Jews had uh, the these, these Jewish leaders that were antagonists toward Christianity had bribed the guards to say they fell asleep, the disciples stole Jesus' body while they were asleep. All right, what I think is really, really significant about that is everybody's having to deal with the empty tomb. They got to explain why there's no body there. The everybody knew where the tomb was. It was a, a known location. If the resurrection were not true and the tomb was not empty, it would have been so easy for the enemies of Christ just to go to Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, open it up, say, "Well, here's here's the body of Jesus." What are you guys rattling, rattling on about? You're, you're just a bunch of charlatans and, and deceivers. Uh, but no, the, the tomb is undeniably empty. And we're, that's what we're talking about is undeniable evidence. So one piece of undeniable evidence is the tomb is empty. You got Whatever you believe about Jesus, you have to have some accounting for the fact that the tomb is empty. Now, for the Christian, we believe that he's, it's empty because risen. he's risen. That's right. But if you're going to reject Christ, you have to come up with some explanation for it. Um, and I believe that there's not any other explanations that hold any water or, or make any other sense. And it's not, not that I'm trying to make inroads towards the non-believer, but I also try to look at, you know, see, I try to attack, not attack, but talk about the other side, you know, for people who do not believe that he is risen, do not believe in Christ, do not believe in, in anything that we hold, as Joe says, the, the hinge of our faith. But then you, and well, I think we've actually touched on this in another episode, but you look at the non-Bible writers who were uninspired. They were the non-historians, but they still documented the life of Christ. How do you? How do they explain that? Well, you can't. Yeah, you, if you a look homeless at preacher that preached for three years, 2,000 years ago, has completely flipped the world upside down. That doesn't make any sense unless there was something incredibly special about this fella. And you have historians who documented his life. That's right. So much so that our calendar itself is based on... Uh, roughly when the year of our Lord, uh, yeah, or, or before Christ, or even if you're, you know, sometimes scientists or, or secular-minded people will uh, want to take 
Christ out of the dating system, and and instead of saying A.D. and B.C., they'll say C.E. the Common it's Era, the same and years before the Common Era, <laughs> same years. That's right. So why do you decide? Why did you divide it there? A, a few years ago in, in public school, um, that there when we used to have textbooks, we really don't have textbooks anymore. Uh, I see a few kids pack them around. I don't. I haven't seen either one of my kids with real textbooks for a decade or so. Mm-hmm. But I can remember that was a big push. Uh, that was a big controversy, you know, with textbooks that changing A.D. and B.C. to C.E. and uh, what B-C-E. Was it? B.C.E. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big push. But like Joe says, you can change the letters around, but the evidence is still there you're not changing the evidence or the facts yeah you're not you're not and just all that is 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 a testimony to what an impact jesus has had on history um but so you got not just history there's a book out there i've got it hadn't had a chance to read it yet because i've been reading that other book forever i was talking (laughs) to you guys about earlier Ed Joe is well read. No, always, Joe is a slow reader. I always heard Elvis Presley was well read, but I think Elvis don't, don't have anything on Joe. <laughs> I think you're I think you're way wrong on this one. But there's a book from the same guy that wrote Cold Case Christianity, which I'd recommend if you hadn't read it. It's called Person of Interest. And what this book is about, I won't go into Jay Warner Wallace's bio, but what this book is about is that two thousand years ago, at the time of Jesus Art changed, songs changed, music changed, culture changed, every, everything changed, and suddenly everything revolved around him. Mm-hmm. And it's I haven't read it. I'll report back to you guys in five years whenever I finally get the chance. But it, right. it's an interesting premise that I hadn't really thought of because before Christ, it's totally different than after Christ. And still to this day, you go to an art museum, what do you see paintings of? Right. You know? Yeah. And it's not a, a king or conqueror or empire builder or anything like that. Again, and well, I hate to throw facts out here that I don't know the facts. Maybe you know them. Um, we've got more evidence for the life of Jesus, like more documents from antiquity, than we do for several of the Caesars and uh, like the Iliad and the Odyssey. Right. Nobody discounts what those are, but we have so many documents about Christ and the Bible, thousands and thousands and thousands of more manuscripts. And he's controversial. I, I look at that and the word controversial in a good way. He's controversial in the fact that he's still challenging us to change our life. Uh, I asked the question one time in a Bible class, well, how come people don't get worked up about Abraham Lincoln, but they do about Jesus Christ? And I remember your father-in-law, Big Show, Scotty, he said, uh, because Abraham Lincoln is not asking us to change our life, mm-hmm. to repent, yeah. but Jesus is. Well, I got us off a, topic. It was a mic drop, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag Scotty. Yeah, he'll appreciate <laughs> listening to this. Back to, back to the topic. Well, so to, to kind of recap our, our lines of evidence that we, we've talked about, we mentioned the empty tomb and the resurrection appearances. Those go hand in hand. You know, if you just had the empty tomb without appearances, then you might say, well, maybe they did steal the body or something like that. Maybe there was, um, maybe they lost the body or they got the wrong tomb or something like that. But you couple it with the resurrection appearances, and that's the strong evidence for, for what's going on there. And then that third line of evidence is, I guess, what we might call the ripple effect. You see the impact that it had on 
on the early believers, on the ones that claimed to be eyewitnesses themselves. Um, and one of my favorite change stories is to think about the brothers of Jesus himself. You know, during his ministry, his brothers and sisters didn't believe in him. I mean, as far as being uh, disciples of his. He couldn't be a prophet in his own land. It can be, yeah, prophets not without honor except in his own uh, in, in his hometown. But he, um, his brothers didn't believe. And probably that's a, a case of just being overly familiar. You know, they, they saw him grow up. It's hard to believe that this guy that you grew up with is actually the, the son of God. Um, even though, you well, I, yeah, if my brother came up to me and said, "You know, I'm the son of God," right? Yeah, <laughs> it'd be a hard sell. <laughs> it'd be a hard sell, especially because your brother's not. I mean, he's a good guy. Yeah, that's where I was going. I was like, well, I, "I love my brother," <laughs> but he's not the son of God. Yeah, yeah. that's right, and we know that's that. Right. Um, but something changes after after the resurrection. It's not long before you see. James, the brother of Jesus, being a maybe the most prominent leader of the Jerusalem church. What changed from him being around Jesus and his miracles and his teaching? And his mother. They had the same his mother. mother, You yes. know Mary told the story. Right. She had to. Uh, what changed between that? All that wasn't enough evidence for him. But then something happens. And he becomes a leader in the Jerusalem church, the one probably who wrote the book of James, another brother of Jesus, uh, wrote the book of Jude most likely. So you have two New Testament books being written by brothers of of Jesus, uh, half-brothers, earthly half-brothers of Jesus. And um, what what makes that change? The resurrection is the best explanation uh, for that. Um, And so that, that belief of his brothers... I think is a, a strong line of, of evidence. What explains that change in the resurrection does? I know we talked about you have, having three big ideas. Yeah. You know, so that kind of, uh, I think, kind of brings us almost down the back stretch. Um, and, and I would just like to read, just if I could, Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 8. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I think about the confidence that we have from the just and this is just one example, actually eleven uh, that I've read or that we are told. Matthew twenty eight verses one through eight. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow and the guards shook for for fear of him because like and became like dead men but the angel answered and said to the women do not be afraid for i know you seek jesus who was crucified he is not here for he is risen as he said come to come see the place where the lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and indeed he is going before you into galilee There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And for me, it was just kind of in my mind, several highlighted phrases pop up that I think about even here, what we should be even doing even today, and the fact that uh, we should be seeking, we should be going, we should be telling, uh, we should be 
joyful, but we should also be fearful. Um, just as those first eyewitnesses and, and those firsthand accounts were dealing with those same emotions as well. To me, that never gets old knowing that we too, while we were not there when and to see the tomb uh, removed, but yet we know because it's empty that we too can have the same level of joy and fear right. and being fear uh, and our fear should be stemmed from not having Christ in our life. I'd like for us also to mention before we close out here what makes one thing that makes Jesus's resurrection different and special among the other we might call them death defiers of the Bible. There were a handful of other resurrections. There were um, you know, Tabitha was resurrected. Lazarus, not too long before this, was resurrected. Uh, Elisha and Elijah, uh, both resurrected people. Eutychus was resurrected. Uh, so there, there's a handful of people in the Bible that are resurrected. But the thing that they all have in common with each other is they didn't actually escape death. They all died again after this. You've got a couple of guys in the Old Testament, Elijah and Enoch, that uh, eluded death. They seem to have been translated into the next life without actually experiencing death themselves, but they didn't conquer death. They they didn't die and come back. They just they they more looted it. They got away from it. But Jesus, he dies, and he smashes the teeth out of the monster. He conquers death, comes back from it, never to experience it again, and so conquering death, becoming the master over it like that, gives us tremendous hope that he can deliver us from whatever this world has to offer. He can deliver us ultimately uh, from death as well and give us eternal life uh, with him. And that that sets him apart, uh, I, I believe, from these other death to fire. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And because of the enduring, uh, and you can, I want you to close this out, but I, I love Matthew 15, I'm sorry, Mark 15 verses 27 through 30 with him. They also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says that he was numbered with the transgressors and those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, ah, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. And aren't we thankful that he endured for us, uh, which I think even brings even more separation, like you said, from the other mm-hmm. um, resurrections that he overcame and he endured. So the message is, look what Jesus endured. Look what he accomplished because he endured. And if we will endure, look what we can accomplish. That's right. Well, speaking of thankful, I'm thankful. <laughs> Thanks for enduring this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm thankful for the co-host with the most over there, Alan Jones, and thankful for our producer, Big Show Joe. Thankful to the elders at the South Green Street Church of Christ for making soul training possible. And most of all, I'm thankful for you, dear listener, for letting us be a part of, of your day-to-day and your your spiritual journey. Uh, if this has been helpful to you, then share the podcast with somebody else and give it a, a good rating. And email us. We'd love to hear from you. If you have uh, questions, topics you'd like to have us deal with, or you have some uh, some responses or some thoughts about anything we've shared, we want to hear from you. We we love it. Uh, so until next time, keep soul training. Got soul training. 
practice what you preach. To learn more, you can email us at soultrainingpodcast at gmail.com or you can write to us, P.O. Box 503, Glasgow, Kentucky, 42142. That's Soul Training.